Hey Blue Jay fans, I'm Mark Colley, the founder and owner of 360 Blue Jay News on Instagram. And on today's episode of Section 138, we've got a little bit of something different for you. I had the chance recently to talk with Jerry Howarth, the longtime voice of the Blue Jays. And on this podcast, you're going to get to listen to our conversation. He has a new book out coming out March 5th entitled Hello Friends. I had the chance to read an advanced reader's copy and um, it had me smiling and laughing and crying through it all. It was a, a, a nice, warm, happy book about the Blue Jays and his time with the Blue Jays. So be sure to look for that coming out March 5th and enjoy our conversation. One and one on Jose. All eyes on the mound and the bearded Sam Dyson. Now he comes up. Kicks the 1 1 pitch. Five ball deep left field. Yes, sir. There she goes. Why did you decide to write a book? Well, it was about five years ago. I was approached by a publisher in Vancouver, and uh, he just out of the blue said, would you like to write a book? And I said, no, not really, and so I passed. And then the next year, I was offered by a writer here in town to ghostwrite a story uh, with me, and I decided, no, if I was going to write a book, it would be me, and it would come from me and not a series of interviews with a ghostwriter. And then I was on the field about three years ago with Buck Martinez, who had just written his third book, mm-hmm. and he referred me to uh, Harper Collins and said, Jerry, you, sh- you should write a book. You've had a wonderful career, and you should tell people and share stories that you've had with the Blue Jays and growing up before that. So when I met with Jim Gifford over at HarperCollins, he kind of said, yes, why don't you submit 50,000 words? And so at the end of the 15 season, I wrote 50,000 words and gave it to Jim. And he said, you know, we really like it. But he said, at HarperCollins here, we've decided to go with fewer authors who write more books. But why don't you take it over to Michael Holmes at ECW and see what happens? So I didn't do that until I had finished the next off season, writing 60,000 more words to get to 110,000. And then uh, what I did was I edited it down to 102, submitted it to Michael, and right away ECW Press took it. So um, initially I was just kind of concerned about writing a book, could I do it? And then after a while, when Buck encouraged me to do it, I said, let's do it. Hmm. How did you decide on the style of your book? Because it's kind of like uh, in sections, I'd say. How did you decide to write it like that? Well, when I first sat down, and I've always enjoyed writing, Mark. It's just something I've done since I was in the sixth grade, and writing has come easy to me. It was more the broadcasting that was the challenge, and so I took the road not taken. But um, I thought, well, let's first of all write about myself, because a lot of people don't know about how I grew up and where I grew up. So mm-hmm. once I was through with that and took it to Toronto in 1982, that was 20,000 words. And then the rest of it, I wanted to be a reflection of what I did on the radio, tell stories about people, uh, little interesting anecdotes, uh, make it um, something that maybe other people didn't know about or read about. Mm-hmm. Statistics weren't really a big thing for me, even on the broadcast. Uh, there are plenty of people who can provide analytics and statistics. But the stories that I took down on the field up to the broadcast booth, I took to the book. And the nicest compliment I've ever received, uh, for those who have read the advanced copies, are Jerry, I can hear you talk about this off the page, and that's what I was looking for. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It, uh, as soon as I started reading, reading, I could hear your voice through it. Um, you wrote in the preface of the book that you see um, every game as kind of like a blank canvas that you get to paint. On a broader scale, do you see games in a sort of uh, romantic or artistic way? No, I was fortunate, Mark. What I did was, uh, as I mentioned and what you just referred to, I took a blank white canvas in my mind, and then from the very beginning, pregame show right on through the last pitch and the postgame show when I signed off, I would artistically do it to the best of my ability and initial it in the lower right-hand corner. I let the one-loss record take care of itself. My mm -hmm. concern was how can I relate this game, this broadcast to the, the audience and the listeners not only here in Toronto but across Canada. And I wanted to do that in a way where even when the Blue Jays lost games, and you're going to lose your share of games over 162, <laughs> I wanted them to take something away from it, maybe one story, or a, a coach or a parent who would say, I heard Joe Siddle talk with Jerry about what to do with a 12-year-old and how to encourage him to pitch and not maybe hurt his arm and throw just fastballs or maybe a change-up or two, but forget the curveball until a little bit later. Those were the things that I treasured the most because the one-loss record was out of my control, but the broadcast, which I could orchestrate, meant something to everybody or someone in particular that day, and that's what I was looking for, goal-oriented, and that's what I was proudest of in my career. Hmm. So did you try to make it, uh, in a way, the broadcast about something more than just the game? No, it was the game. In fact, what I took the greatest pride in was the game itself, what's happening down on the field. That's why I thoroughly enjoyed the analysts that I had uh, once Tom and Jerry had finished our run and two play-by-play -play broadcasters. My job after that was to highlight the analysts, whether it was hmm. Warren Saukey for a couple of years, Alan Ashby for six, Jack Morris for one, and Joe the last four years. Let them expand upon what's happened down on the field for the audience to then say, oh, that's why that happened. Or now I know what maybe that pitcher was thinking about when he threw that pitch. And if I could orchestrate that, and then in games where the Blue Jays were down by five or six runs, work in a story or two to just make it even that much more worthwhile in an 8-2 to two or 10-1 to one loss, then that was my goal. That was something that if I highlighted my partner, the broadcast was highlighted in turn. Hmm. Uh, what did you enjoy most about your job? Everything. <laughs> you're, you, you've asked me a question that I've been asked many, many times, and that's my answer, one word, everything. <laughs> From the preparation, which started in the morning after a Starbucks coffee, <laughs> to a nice little nap for 25 minutes, to then get ready for the second part of my day, to get out to the park early, to mix with the players, manager, umpires, coaches down on the field, then take it all upstairs, uh, take my notes and the stats that were provided, and maybe highlight a few things that you wanted to work into the broadcast. Start off with a pregame show. Hello, friends. This is Jerry Howard. Welcome to Blue Jays Baseball. And then broadcast the game. When it was over, thank you very much. Get in my car, head home, or go on the bus back to the hotel. Maybe take a look at some scores, lights out, and do that for six months. And hopefully seven if there's a, a month of October for the playoffs. So I had a certain routine and discipline, and I was blessed with that good discipline gene or whatever you want to call it where it was never a grind everything I did was part of making that broadcast the best it could be and, and that's what I took great pride in and remember too the goal for me was make the next day's broadcast better than the day before 
And I tried to do that for all 36 years that I was in Toronto. You mentioned that routine. Did you ever find it tedious having to broadcast a game day after day after day? No, in fact, uh, I really enjoyed it. When I started in Tacoma, Washington, with the University of Puget Sound, I was their fundraiser in the athletic department and broadcaster of football and basketball games along with high school football and basketball games. And then in the um, and once basketball was over, then I broadcast AAA games for the Tacoma Twins. So for 24 months, when I got my training, basically, 24-7, it was all broadcasting. Football, I didn't care that much for in the beginning because it was only a game a week, maybe two. Basketball was a little bit better, two games a week, maybe three. But baseball, that was every day. And I loved that because of the fact that every day you could make the broadcast better. And I just didn't like waiting to try to Im implement that for the next broadcast <laughs> in the other two sports. You, you mentioned that you broadcast a lot of different sports. Uh, is Has baseball always been your favorite sport, or uh, is it your favorite sport now, or has it just kind of grown that way with you? Well, when I grew up, uh, I followed the 49ers. That was my favorite team. Mm -hmm. I went to my first 49ers game when I was eight years old in San Francisco, where I grew up in the Bay Area. And then after that, I played a little high school basketball for one year on the freshman team, and I was a backup quarterback my junior year on the junior varsity football team. But I played all four years with the high school baseball teams that I was on, freshman, junior varsity, and varsity. And I played some semi-pro baseball in the summertime with a team there in Novato and went to Fairfax nearby, a city nearby, to play winter ball with the Fairfax uh, garage team. Mm -hmm. And so baseball became pretty much what I did all year round. And I followed the Giants and Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, that whole group right in there. And so baseball pretty much dominated my life at that particular point. And then finally had a wake-up call after my <laughs> third year in high school that there was academics too, Jerry, and you had to pay attention to that. And uh, once I did that, then I was able to put it all together. I assume you felt nervous when starting out with the Blue Jays, but were there moments later on in your career broadcasting them uh, with the Blue Jays that you felt nervous on air? Actually, the only time I felt nervous in my career was the first broadcast I ever did, September 3rd, 1973, in Tacoma, Washington. Doug MacArthur, the athletic director, had hired me to raise money for the athletic department and in turn gave me what he had done for years, the play-by-play -play of the football and basketball teams for University of Puget Sound, the loggers. Mm -hmm. And that first day, it was a day game, September 3rd, I believe it was probably a Saturday, and when Doug said, ladies and gentlemen, on the radio, here's your new loggers broadcaster, Jerry Howard. You've heard before people say, I had an apple in my throat. Well, mm -hmm. I had an apple in my throat. That <laughs> I was nervous. I'd never been on the radio before, ever. That was the first time. And here I'm doing play-by-play -play for a college, <laughs> actually a <laughs> university up in Tacoma. And then after that, uh, I settled in and was able to pretty much um, handle my five years of broadcasting um, in AAA, two in Tacoma, three in Salt Lake. And then when I did my first major league game, which was July 4th, 1980, I wasn't nervous, but the adrenaline was flowing when I did that game that Friday night at Tiger mm. Stadium with Tom, Tom Cheek. And uh, after that game, I thought, wow, <laughs> that was pretty interesting. And I was luckily able to do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday before I went back to Salt Lake. Well, on Saturday, the adrenaline flow was down to about 20%, but it was still there. And I thought to myself, Jerry, can you do this? And I wasn't sure. And then on Sunday, when I broadcast that last game, 
I broadcast it as if I were doing those five years in the AAA Pacific Coast League, and it was just exactly what I was hoping for. And when I got on the plane and went back to Salt Lake, I said to myself, Jerry, you can do this if given the opportunity. Hmm. What's your uh, most fantastic on-air blooper? Let me think about that. Um, I probably had a few. We all have a few bloopers here and there. Um, mm -hmm. Probably the funniest one actually happened in Tacoma, Washington, where um, my two years there as I broadcast all those games, I filled up one notebook after another with words that I had read from books and magazines mm -hmm. and circled them to build up a good, strong working vocabulary. Well, this one day in Genie Stadium in Tacoma, uh, Bob... Bobby Jones came up, left-handed hitter for Spokane, and I'm broadcasting for Tacoma. And uh, the call basically went, here's the pitch to Jones, lined up the gap in the left center field. Center fielder Randy Beach runs over, dives headlong, can't quite make the catch, and the ball rolls all the way to the wall. As Bobby Jones pulls into second with a stand-up double, Randy Beach lying prostate in left center field. <laughs> And as soon as I said it, I said, Jerry, you forgot the R. <laughs> Prostrate. And uh, so that was funny because the next day as I was going up to the ball, to the press box radio booth, a gal probably about 12 years old, she came running over and she said, are you Jerry Howard, the Twins announcer? And I said, yes, I am. Why do you ask? She said, my dad thinks you're hilarious. <laughs> I'm guessing so that. That was probably it. And lo and behold, who? who had prostate cancer surgery November 22nd in 2016, yours truly. So maybe it was meant to be that blooper was funny, and uh, it certainly was well-timed when you think about what happened later that led to retirement. <laughs> uh, what are you most proud of in your career? I would say the due diligence to prepare every day to do the best that I could to entertain and inform the audience about what was coming on every pitch. And that meant working with Tom to do that for all those years that we worked together from 1982 through the halfway point of the 2004 season. And then doing the same thing with former players, highlighting the game through their eyes, and then on occasion having discussions too or fun stories. But the discipline and routine that it wasn't about me, it was about the audience. And how could I best serve the audience to make this broadcast the most enjoyable for them so they would want to hear another broadcast and another mm -hmm. month's broadcast and another seasons of broadcasting. And, and that's what I took greatest pleasure of all, the, the preparation and the homework to do that and make it sound as good as possible. If you had to do all of that again, um, would you change anything? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, when I was in Salt Lake City and applied for the Seattle Mariners job when 76 when those two teams came into baseball, mm -hmm. Uh, I was disappointed that I didn't get the job. And then my wife, Mary, suggested that I apply to the other team. And really, I, I didn't even know where Toronto was. So when I looked it up on the Atlas. I kind of closed the Atlas. And I said, no, that's too far away. And it's in another country. And she said, no, apply to Toronto. She'd grown up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So Canada and Toronto is very uh, close proximity for her. Mm -hmm. So um, I applied. Uh, ended up uh, with um, an opportunity to those, do those three games in July of 1980, 20 the next year, and then hired full-time after that 1981 season. But I wouldn't change a thing. I've, I actually say that very openly and honestly because here's a kid who grew up in the States. And I've lived 37 years here in Canada, 35 in the U.S. So I'm hmm. about to turn 73 and will have lived more 
years in Canada than the United States, and <laughs> I never dreamed that that was possible. And I'm so happy that it worked out that it did. Mm-hmm. Do you miss any of, uh, of broadcasting? No, no, because um, I had five years in the Coast League, and then 36 years, that's 41 years doing the best that I could possibly do. And two of my favorite words, Mark, are no regrets. Hmm. And when I retired just a little over a year ago, February 13th in 2018, I did it with no regrets. I was happy with my career, but the surgery had taken away a lot of my health and stamina. The congestion was starting to build up, leading to polyps. I was very happy with the surgery. I was able to get through the 2017 season. But after that, when my uh, sleep was down to three and four hours a night rather than seven and a half and eight, then I realized, Jerry, time to step aside. And I did that with no regrets, and I I feel very happy in retirement. Hmm. Uh, What lessons have you learned from those 36 years with the Blue Jays? To just do the best that you can, prepare as hard as you can, and then highlight the people who are with you in the radio booth. And if you do that, then the results take care of themselves, not only down on the field, but with the broadcasting element as well. And again, it was never about me. Uh, I think the nicest compliment I've ever received up here from many people is that, Jerry, you were a part of our family. When we grew up, we listened to you at the cottage, uh, driving back on Sunday, here at home, um, Monday through Friday nights, uh, day games, and wherever we happened to be. You were part of our family. You were making things happen as we were enjoying our family time. And that's that's just such a great compliment. Hmm. Um, I counted in the book, uh, I think you spoke negatively about someone a, a grand total of three times. Uh, and it seems like the same goes for radio, uh, that when you were on the radio, you almost never spoke negatively about someone. Uh, why was this? Well, first of all, having played just a little bit uh, four years in high school, a little bit in the summer, a little bit in the wintertime, I realized how difficult the game is to play. Then I went to the mm-hmm. University of Santa Clara, hopefully making the freshman team. I made, uh, I played in two games and had only two at-bats, and then I was let go because the basketball players on baseball scholarships came out and there was just no room. But I always felt, too, with whether it was an umpire or a player, a manager, a coach, it's a tough game to play, and especially at the major league level where it's so fast. Mm-hmm. So I always took that into consideration. And then if there was going to be any criticism, there, was, there were opportunities to be constructively critical, mm-hmm. but I always, as you read in the book, pretended that that player was right next to me so that the next day if he challenged me on what I said, I could say, yes, I did. And mm-hmm. if you were right there with me and I've already said it to you once, and that way it eliminated being ultra negative, personal, nasty, and that, that, that'd be uncalled for for any play-by-play announcer in any sport who never played the game. And even if you did, play the game. You still have to be cognizant of how hard the game is to play, all the various circumstances involved. And uh, Because uh, I knew all of that, I always made sure that um, uh, I covered the game, trying to be as constructively critical and objective as possible, but letting everybody know that's the Blue Jays announcer and he takes great pride in his work. Hmm. Uh, You often refer to players by their first names. You did this in the book and also on the radio. Um, Why? Well, I always wanted my first name, too. Used, uh, I always tell Mr. people who say, Mr. Howard, no. Thanks for talking about my dad, but uh, no, it's <laughs> Jerry. And when I coached basketball for 25 years, it was either Jerry or Coach, and uh, never Mr. Howard. I just think it's, um, for me, uh, it's a lot more informal, relaxed, uh, first name basis. 
and the misters and everything else, forget that. I, I just have never been a big fan of that. And I just like talking to Jim or Sally or Joan or Sam or Bill or Mark in this case. Uh, <laughs> and I just think it's, um, uh, for me, the most relaxed way to do it. And I want people to call me Jerry, too. And even when they first mm-hmm. meet me and they haven't met me, they've listened to me for 36 years. Mr. Howard, it's a real pleasure. I stop <laughs> them right away and say, I, I stop them right away and just say, no, it's Jerry. They say Jerry, and then I say, okay, good, let's continue. <laughs> well, Jerry, I'll be sure to use your first name in the in the article I write. Um, okay, good. How would you describe the relationship between you as a broadcaster and the players on the field? I would say very strong, uh, very close and personal, especially when I was younger, when I was 35 to 45 or 50. Well, you're relating to those players who are in the early 20s to mid-30s. That was very easy, and uh, mm-hmm. I always tried to you know, get right down on the field every day for batting practice. I never socialized with the players, but I wanted them to know in the clubhouse and on the field that I wanted to know them as people, not just ball players. I didn't really concern myself with what they did statistically or on the field uh, regarding the, the results of the game or whatever regarding their careers. I wanted to know about their wives and their families and their young children and let them know that for me they were more important to me as a person than they were someone wearing a uniform. Mm-hmm. And I took uh, a lot of pleasure and satisfaction in doing that and years later then asking about how are those kids now or how old are they or I can't believe that uh, your son is 12 years old now and he's been able to watch you play all these years. And So those are the things that, that I like most, to personalize the game and to make it uh, something then that I would use on the air as well for the fans to let them know there was more than just ball one, strike mm-hmm. two. Uh, so with all those close relationships, did you ever struggle with calling a game fairly? No, I never did. I, I thought it was very important for me to call the game as fairly as I could. And I think the best example of that is the managers who I got to know and love as brothers, Cito Gast and John Gibbons come to mind right away. And um, so there were times where you'd have to at least question a manager's decision. And I don't mm-hmm. think there was anything wrong with that. Uh, and then I might refer to my partner, Joe Siddle, or Jack, or Morris, or Alan Ashby. What do you think of that manager's call right there? And they would objectively say, well, it could have gone either way, but I was a little surprised that he made that call in this mm-hmm. circumst- set of circumstances. The, the thing that was the most important to me was you had to present the facts to the audience and then let them decide for themselves what they thought was right or wrong, rather than just saying, that was a poor decision. No. There were a lot of decisions that we knew nothing about and why they were even made behind the scenes. And because of my rapport with managers, Mark, uh, over the years, and that includes Jimmy Williams and so many others that I worked with in the minor leagues, then you realize after they share with you privately why they made those decisions, oh, I never thought about that. Well, that's why it was very important for me to be fair in every broadcast, raise the questions, and sometimes, you know, you didn't want to do that, and a manager might hear about it later. Well, Jerry, you said this, or Jerry, you said that. Yes, I did. And it gets back to, mm-hmm. I already said it to you because you were sitting right next to me when I questioned that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked a lot about managers and general managers in the book. Uh, what do you think uh, made those who are good at it good at it? The same thing that I thought really uh, I took great pride in. Hard work, discipline, routine trying to do the best that you could. In my case, orchestrating the broadcast, highlighting my partner, 
would be to my left, the former player, or in Tom Cheek's case, working with Tom. For a manager, it was delegating to his coaches. Let them coach. Let players play. Let pitchers pitch in jams without having to look over their shoulder at a bullpen to see if somebody's warming up. Let mm -hmm. hitters go to the plate, not looking over their shoulders. Are you going to pinch hit for me? No. Having trust in your players, your organization, and then go out there and do the very best that you can, knowing that they support you. Well, I had that support from the very beginning with the networks that I work with, right, including uh, Sportsnet here at the end. And um, when I look at players and managers, especially managers, they had that support too, first from Pat Gillick and now from Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins and Alex Anthopoulos did a tremendous job too while he was here. And I'm just sorry he's still not here because he grew right into that job. And now he's doing a wonderful job in Atlanta after taking the Dodgers to the playoffs for three years too. So all in all, it gets back to do the best you can, work as hard as you can. And the people that I saw around me down on the field and in the manager's offices, that's what they did. What advice would you give to people who uh, want to follow the same track as you did and, and be a broadcaster at the major league level? Two words. Be yourself. <laughs> Don't copy anybody. Go out and broadcast. If you want to broadcast, go out and broadcast at any level. Get behind a microphone and start to do play-by-play -play, no matter the level. Like I said, I started off doing high school football and basketball mm -hmm. along with the University of Puget Sound. And that led to AAA baseball. But I was older, too, at the same time, 1973. You're looking at a 27-year-old kid, not uh, an 18-year-old kid or a 20-year-old who says, I want to be a broadcaster. So the advice would be go and do it and uh, see where you fit in. See how natural it is for you to do. If you're comfortable with that, grow into the experience. If not, stay in the sports arena. Find something else behind the scenes maybe that you're good at, too. And then follow your heart, follow your dreams, get as much education as you can. I think those things are all important, but be yourself. My style, you don't want to copy my style. If your style is a little bit more frenetic or aggressive or whatever it happens to mm -hmm. be, and that's you, be you. And I, I think that's the most important thing for anybody in any career, um, be yourself. You said in the book that you don't read much, which I personally I found that surprising because uh, to me, uh, my impression of a broadcaster is just someone who needs to be able to uh, recite a lot at whim and uh, be able to know a lot of facts and little stories. So um, was it that you don't enjoy to read, or, or just why did you not read much? Well, I've never been much of a reader. Uh, luckily for me, on the road trips, that's when I read, because mm -hmm. you're up in the air for two, three, four hours, sometimes five, and then I would take a book uh, of a uh, sports figure, coach, manager, player, and that's what I would read. Mm -hmm. Maybe some self-help books, too, uh, earlier on in my career. But uh, I've always been somewhat of a slow reader, but slow mm -hmm. to enjoy at the same time. So uh, the other thing is, other than those road trips, one of the reasons why I didn't read was I was conversing with people down on the field, reading their minds. <laughs> and then I would take a few notes, and that's what I would share stories with on the air, and luckily, I was able to recall so many of those over my career mm -hmm. to put down in written form. But uh, my form of, um, you know, reading people was actually that, reading people rather than reading books. Hmm. Um, you talked earlier uh, today about coaching at a Etobicoke Collegiate Institute, and obviously you talked about it in the book. Um, when you retired, I interviewed Connor, uh, who you talked about in the book. Yeah. Uh, and I found it funny because he said – in our interview that you always told people 
about that 0-19 season and how it was your favorite. And then, lo and behold, in the book, you told everyone about it. <laughs> yes, I did. Well, the reason I did that was some people feel that in sports, everybody should win. You should have those undefeated seasons, mm-hmm. and you should be in the playoffs. And that's not the way it is. And I coached for 25 years, five at Islington Middle School, and then 20 years at Etobicoke Collegiate. And twice we went undefeated through the season, played the playoffs right into the Etobicoke City Championship game. Well, I could talk about those, but that's highlighting me, basic. Oh, look mm-hmm. what the coach did. Well, when, you, when your favorite season is one where you never won a game and you went 0-19 with the same 15 kids from mid-October to mid-February who later said, Coach, that's one of the best teams I ever played on, because we grew and we developed and we improved and we got better. That's what sports is all about. It's not about winning or losing. It's that. How did you develop character, respect for the game, practices, not giving up, and taking it right down to the last game at Richview Collegiate to the number one undefeated seed, and you've got the ball with 254 to play and you're down by six points. Well, mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what coaching is all about for me, and that's what sports is all about for me too not the one loss record. What do you hope your impact or legacy is within the Toronto community? I, you know, I had no idea, nor do I really uh, care. I, I let everybody else make those decisions and calls. And my, my goal was to broadcast every game for people to enjoy and be informed and entertained. The goal with the book was to have people share in the stories that I was able to mm-hmm. have not only growing up, but, uh, uh, sharing my 36 years uh, behind the scenes with stories that maybe a lot of people didn't know about or heard a little bit on the radio. Now they hear a few more details. And uh, the legacy is for other people to determine, not me. Hmm. You've said there was a handful of health issues that led to your retirement. Uh, were there other factors you considered? Um... No, I always told people when they asked me after my 30th year, how long do you want to do this? And I said two things proficiency and health. Hmm. I always felt proficiency was good and held its own. And then health intervened after my surgery in November of 2016. And at the end of the 2017 season, I began to see that 100% level was down to 80%. And then when it didn't catch up in the wintertime, then I decided to leave at that rather than try to push it any further and have 80% drop down to who knows where. Mm -hmm. Would you broadcast forever if you could? If I was proficient and healthy, I would have gone hopefully as long as I could. But I never set goals for myself regarding that. What I Hmm. did, Mark, was make this the best broadcast for this the best season and let let the next season take care of itself. I never looked at round numbers, oh, let's do this. Um, In fact, once I got to 30 years, my first and only major league team, I'm driving home from the last game, which was at the Rogers Center, I mentally kind of patted myself on the back and said, Jerry, you just broadcast 30 seasons with a major league club, the first team you ever worked for. And whatever you do after this is a bonus. And the bonus turned out to be six years. How do you spend your time now? I enjoy my wife of 47 years, Mary. I enjoy our three grandsons, two in Chicago and one right here in Toronto lives about 20 minutes away. Hmm. I thoroughly enjoy playing a lot of duplicate bridge with partners (laughs) at the Olympium, the Etobicoke Bridge Club and, another bridge club I belong to out of Mississauga called Mo Bridge. So that consumes a lot of my time. I enjoy going to movies 
and I enjoy just relaxing and doing what I want in a no-discipline routine. <laughs> life with still plenty to do with uh, all these things that I just mentioned and others as well. So I'm very happy, no regrets, and love my retirement. Well, after 36 years, you deserve a little time to relax. Yeah, well, thanks. And I was able to relax, too, during the broadcasting and the coaching of basketball. So hmm. uh, that was that was always a relaxing career, too, uh, that I thoroughly enjoyed because I was relaxed when I did all of that. I noticed that whenever you would have an interview, you'd often end it with um, God bless. And you talked a lot about religion in the book. Why is it something that's important to you? Well, I think anytime it's not about you, then who's it about? Well, for me, it's been a God-fearing life and a God-directed life. And thank you very much, Lord, for all you did for me and putting me here and putting me there and letting me do this and letting me do that and being able to prepare and do my homework and broadcast and then uh, all the way to now playing duplicate bridge, whatever <laughs> it happens to be, uh, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's never been about me. And I think when I look at my spiritual life, which started at Santa Clara with Father Shanks, as you read about there, mm -hmm. it was a big picture of um, what can you do for others? And uh, I always wanted to love, praise, and serve the Lord to the best of my ability. And when I put my head on the pillow at night saying, thank you, Lord, for letting me do that. If I'm blessed with tomorrow, let me do it again. And my way of doing that was uh, in the sports arena through broadcasting and uh, coaching and uh, emphasizing academics and pushing kids toward greater educations past high school, but at the same time working hard on their basketball. And then, again, let the results take care of themselves during the games that we played. But it's always been one of, um, it's not about Jerry, it's about just a God uh, strength in life. Hmm. Uh, what is your philosophy on life, if you have one? Two simple uh, phrases. Enjoy the moment, as you and I are right here, and you're not promised tomorrow. Hmm. Pure and simple. Um, that pretty much wraps it up for questions that I have, but is there anything um, I didn't ask that you'd like to add or think is important? No, no, you covered it all, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Great job, very comprehensive, happy to do it with you, and I appreciate the time you took to do it. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time. Okay, well, thanks, I enjoyed it, and uh, thanks for reading the book, and I'm really glad you liked it. Yeah, good luck with the uh, the release and the book signing. Okay, thanks, I'm, gonna, I'm enjoying it already, including this. <laughs> all right, well, thank Bye. you. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.